Today's episode is brought to you by the I Had a Miscarriage campaign, a line of gorgeous, intimate pregnancy and infant loss cards designed to take away the problem of not knowing what to say when someone experiences loss. Go to motherbirth.co slash I Had a Miscarriage to order online. It's like that's what I was able to do for him as his mom. Like I wasn't able to do the normal things of like changing his diaper and teaching him to read and sending him off to school, but like I was able to give him a really beautiful and peaceful death. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. everybody. We are here today. Laura and I are interviewing a special guest, Lindsay Ostrom. She is from the Pinch of Yum blog that some of you may have heard of. She's going to be sharing her story with us today. And we do want to let people know that this episode is going to have some heavier content, including talking about infant loss. So if you think that's going to be triggering for you, then just go ahead and skip this one and listen to some of our other episodes. So, Lindsay, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and we'll get into your story from there. Great. Well, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Lindsay Ostrom, and I i never quite know how to, like, introduce myself. It feels weird to say, like, I'm a food blogger. Like, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the weird story of my life. Um, I used to be an elementary school teacher, and I thought I was going to do that forever. I taught fourth grade. Um, and my husband and I are, live here in um, St. Paul, Minnesota. So I taught right here in St. Paul. I thought that was going to be my life path forever. Uh, but I started this blog, like just for my nights and weekends, just as a hobby thing. And it ended up growing to the point where we were able to kind of build a little business out of it and make it into our full-time gig. So we both now do this full-time and are self-employed, basically talking about food on the internet. And that is like what we do, what we fill our days with. Bummer. I know, right? (laughs) Well, Melissa and I will disclose and say we both are personal big fans of this blog. Yeah. And so when when, um, Melissa told me she had connected with you, I was like, oh my gosh, I love her. <laughs> well, thank you for reading and being being a follower. So and appreciate cooking. that. Yes. Such great recipes. Yeah, and and one thing that that we've really loved about your presence online, Lindsay, is that when you experienced um just in the last few months this really really massive experience of of your motherhood journey which we're going to get into that you we're really transparent with your community about it. And I think that that's something that can be really difficult for people who have, you know, a following or an audience to know how to kind of integrate those, you know, you have this professional um, appearance or, um, you know, persona, and then how do you be a real person with the things that are going on in your life, especially when those things are heartbreaking and very, very raw and real. And I think that you walk that line really, really well with sharing with your community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been inspiring to me in, you know, just in watching that part of it. So if you want to start, you know, just maybe get into the story of your journey into motherhood and kind of how that began for you. Yeah. Um, well, we have a, 
yeah, kind of an intense, as you alluded to at the beginning, kind of an intense like journey into motherhood, or I have an intense journey into motherhood. Um, it didn't start out so intense. Um, it actually started pretty easily. And um, we, you know, had wanted to, I, I guess if to back up, like I thought I would be have three kids and be like a stay at home mom or, you know, teaching and, and being with my kids or whatever by the time I was 30. And my 30th birthday came around and we didn't have any kids and I didn't necessarily feel like I really wanted to have any kids. A lot of our friends had kids. Um, but up until that point, we had just been so focused on career that it was never really a thought um, for us. But then I think when I did turn 30, it was like, okay, now I feel like this is something that for whatever reason, 30 was like my magic number. Um, mm-hmm. And so we thought this is a, a, the right time for us. The time is finally right. Um, and so we were able to get pregnant pretty quickly and we were really excited about that. And um, it was like at the end of summer last year, actually about this time last year that we found out that we were pregnant and found out that we were having a little boy and I was, you know, all kinds of feelings about that. Like I'd always wanted a girl and, you know, you have all these mm-hmm. like mixed emotions, but um, we're so excited to like shift our lives into this new chapter of being parents. And um, I was about 24, 23 weeks pregnant, I think between 23 and 24 weeks. And everything had been going really well in the pregnancy. Like I had been really healthy, everything with um, our son, his name is Afton. So everything with Afton um, was checking out totally just beautifully. Like everything was going, going perfect. And um, I went in for a I, I wouldn't say it was a, it wasn't like my, one of my, uh, you know, regular checkups, but it wasn't anything out of the super norm. It was just that I had had a few strange enough symptoms that I was like, nah, maybe I'll just mm-hmm. go in. I still have one more week till my next appointment, but like, I would just feel good to just go in and make sure that everything's okay with this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I went in and I was able to get into this, um, to this urgent care clinic because none of the other clinics were, were open. And I went by myself, which in hindsight, of course, I should not have gone by myself, but yeah. um, I thought I was so confident that that this was going to turn out fine. And I went by myself and um, basically found out that I was like three or four centimeters dilated at that point. And I was, you know, 23 and a half weeks pregnant. And so um, we ended up rushing over to the hospital and I was on bed rest for several days and given a ton of medication to try to hold off labor, which I didn't even know that I was in labor. But like, you know, some of those symptoms that I was having um, were like labor in disguise, basically. And Mm -hmm. as a first time mom, it was like I didn't have any way to know that that that's what was happening. And so. Um, so we tried our very best to hold off labor as long as possible, um, for Afton's, you know, chances of survival. And probably a lot of your listeners know that like 23 weeks is really kind of the gray zone. So Mm -hmm. babies can survive if they're born at 23 weeks, but they also can sometimes not survive. And they also sometimes can have a lot of medical complications as a result of being born so early. So, um, we as uh, tried as hard as we could, but, um, for whatever reason, Afton just like needed to be born. He was, he was coming and, um, I had to be rushed into an emergency C-section at just about 24 weeks. And, um, he was born, I mean, healthy and beautiful and like everything that a 24 week baby should be. Mm. Um, but 24 week babies are really small and they're really, um, not ready for life outside of, you know, my body. He wasn't ready. 
And um, he he did really well at first. Everyone thought like this is he's going to do great. This is going to be totally you know a long path, but like he's going to make it. Mm-hmm. And it was probably um, I think it was like 15 hours after he was born. He was born on December 31st, so New Year's Eve. Um, and then New Year's Day, we got a call kind of in the middle of the night uh, as the as the calendar switched over to 2017. We got a call to come down to the NICU where he was um, because he wasn't doing well. And his vitals, all his vitals were starting to drop. And I kind of think of it like he was just, his body was too small and it was just starting to tire out. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's only so much that they can do for babies when they're that little. Mm -hmm. And so then at that point, we got to like both meet him and also say goodbye to him kind of in the same um, literally like in the same breath and hold him for several hours and, um, you know, feel his heart, little heart beating against my chest. And, um, and then eventually it came time to like take out his, um, you know, he was on a ventilator. So take off of his life support and, um, just hold him like, and love him as he left this world and say goodbye to him so peacefully and lovingly. Mm -hmm. But, um, it was, just such a tumultuous obviously tumultuous um like launch into motherhood we never thought that either of us never thought that obviously you know nobody ever thinks something like this is going to happen to them and especially nobody ever thinks they're going to be the one on the side of the statistic where they lose their baby um and so that is our story and that's our little afton and he just completely rocked our world so that's it you know there's so little to be to be said honestly um there's just there's just so much that that is experienced in those moments it's like a lifetime of experience a lifetime of, of emotion um how did you make those decisions in those moments cuz i know like you said at 23 weeks it's kind of right in that that gray zone like you said and I'm I'm sure you guys were faced with decisions about what, you know, how you were going to to care for him and, and what your, you know, your hopes for his obviously you your hopes for his outcome were that that he would be just fine, but what kinds of what kinds of um decisions in those moments did you have to make? Yeah, um well, we when we first were admitted, one of the very first things that um that they did and this I'm assuming this is like protocol when they have someone that comes in at 23 weeks in preterm labor, um, but they had a, a doctor from the NICU come and talk to us mm-hmm. about what life is like for babies that are born at 23 weeks. And it basically was the most awful conversation you could ever have because mm-hmm. here I am, like I've literally hours ago, like less than three hours ago, I thought I was having my friends over for dinner. Like my life was totally normal. And now I'm in the hospital, I'm having this conversation with this doctor that's kind of painting a grim picture mm-hmm. i mean it is a grim picture it's not kind of it's just it's not good there are so many hurdles for um for babies that are born that prematurely that they need to overcome things like um you know words like cerebral palsy and blindness and um you know lifelong respiratory problems like these are all things that are just thrown out within an hour or two of being admitted to the hospital And we were, because of being at 23 weeks, um, and really like right in the middle of 23 weeks, it wasn't like I was 23 weeks in one day. It wasn't like I was 23 weeks in five days. It was like, Mm -hmm. we're like right in the middle of 23 weeks in three days or whatever it was. Um, 
And because of that, they gave us the choice to resuscitate or not resuscitate. And that's mm. why they had this doctor come in is to basically say, you need to understand that in attempting to save your baby's life, this is what that might look like for your child um, mm. in the long term. And I think like there's a death that happens at that point long before like after never passed. Um, there's the loss of you know, what could be and what would otherwise be, um, what kind of like your hopes and your dreams for your child. Um, so that was really the biggest decision that we had to make was when he's born, do we want to resuscitate or do we not want to resuscitate him? And it sounds so, even saying it now, it sounds so terrible and awful to think like that you wouldn't resuscitate your baby, but mm -hmm. it also sounds so awful to think that like, in saving them, you're potentially giving them all these, you know, myriad of health, lifelong health issues. Um, and it's so much more complicated than just, do I want my baby alive or not? Of course, every parent and mother wants their baby to be alive. Mm -hmm. But also, there's, there's the question, I think in the moment, there's the question of like, is this selfish? Like, is this that what's best for my child? And in the end, we ended up saying, yes, we want to do everything we can to try to to try to save his life, but really leaned heavily on the doctors for their expertise um, and that they would tell us at every step of the way if they felt like this isn't going well and we feel like it's in Afton's best interest to, you know, let him go. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then obviously that time did come where there really was nothing more that they could do. Mm -hmm. um, and his, his levels weren't stabilizing. He had high levels of acid um, in his blood, which is a sign of, you know, they don't know number, something is wrong um, when that happens. And so there are, it's complicated. There are so many complicated decisions. I think that's something that people don't necessarily, I mean, I appreciate that you ask about it because I think that's something that people don't necessarily understand about, yeah. especially yeah. specifically about that 23 mark. And they told us if, if you were 24, we wouldn't be given the choice. Like we would resuscitate and if we were 22 they might even send you home because mm -hmm. there's nothing they could do for a 22-week baby um but at 23 it's like right on the line um so it's complicated it's deep complicated stuff yeah and i would say too Lindsay, like i um and we'll share this with the people listening as well she Lindsay wrote her story out um it's beautiful and i think in this section where you talk about and she actually included probably a chart that you might have been given even by that uh, NICU doctor and it just kind of becomes like you said it's this it's this strange experience where you're like i'm not ready to i'm not even beginning my grief and mm -hmm. i'm having to make decisions about this in the moment before it even happens and you there's still hope there there's still mm -hmm. hope like maybe i won't go into labor mm -hmm. maybe maybe this like you said they're giving you medications and trying to stave off labor like maybe i can make it a couple more weeks and the promise of that is is heavy from the, the same doctors what we really want you to do is go just one more hour one more day mm -hmm. one more week everything every minute counts uh, with your baby and i think 
I just want to say to and like honor the space of I think that one thing that is very difficult for people looking on the outside in these experiences is that you're not just grieving the loss of your child you're also grieving the loss of the dreams you've had about that child yeah and I think I hear that like in that it's like if we decide to do these things and then our child never walks that picture mm-hmm. is gone mm-hmm. if our child never breathes on his own or if our child has severe mental deficits and physical deficits because of these decisions that we make. And I just want to say, and it's an impossible place to be as parents. It's an impossible place to be as human beings to really Mm -hmm. kind of process this all at once. And I just want to say thank you for sharing that because I think it's something that you hope no one else will ever have to be in, but to feel that there are others that have been there with you is really powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. I know that you, while you were in this kind of this space where you knew that, you know, the baby was wanting to be born and you guys were trying to stave off labor, that you did share at least some online with your community about what was going on. And I assume that you must have had like a flurry of people, you know, sending well-meaning and and encouraging stories and examples of like, you know, here's, here's my baby that was, you know, born at such and such a week and they're fine or, you know, all of that. How did, how were you able to filter that information? Was that encouraging to you? Was it kind of confusing to you? Yeah, it was both. I think, Mm -hmm. um, I remember posting about going, you know, that we're in the hospital and we're, you know, trying to hold off labor and hoping that he won't be born, um, you know, anytime in the near future. And all the stories pour in about, um, well, my, you know, so-and-so, my, my cousin's, you know, aunt, somebody uh, was born at this many weeks and here's a picture yeah. of them and they're totally healthy and fine. And I think in the moment, those stories were encouraging Um, I think they were encouraging. Like if I really try to think back to what it was like, because at that point, like that's what you're hoping is going to happen. And that's what you want to hear and what you want to want to dwell on. But I also think it's really hard then when that, when the story turns and that's like not yours, because then now Mm. laid out in front of you are all the stories where everyone else got the good outcome and their baby survived and their child is now healthy. Um, and for us, even there would be, I would have emails or texts or, you know, comments on Facebook or whatever, um, after Afton passed away because of the timing of things. Um, like I was seeing some of the emails after he had passed away, if that makes sense, like the success story emails. Um, and that was really hard. Um, that was really hard. And I think it's just forever a complicated thing and a complicated like existential question of like why does that happen like why is it okay for some people and not okay for others Mm -hmm. and um so it's it's complicated but in the moment of like being on bed rest and being in the hospital um I think I did appreciate that and I did appreciate knowing like other people have been here um they know what it's like to be you know in this scary situation I think in a similar way, once we lost Afton, 
then those are the stories too that started to come. Mm. And mm-hmm. the when you're in the waiting, when you're in the, we don't know, is he going to be born early? Is he going to be okay? You know, success stories come in. Right. And then the people who are who have lost stories are holding them close because they're not going to jump in and be like, oh, that happened to me too, but my baby died. But then after you do lose your child, then wow, like all those people come out of the woodwork and there's as many of them, if not more maybe, that come forward that say like, hey, this is my story too and um, we're in this together and this is a shared experience. You're not alone. Um, So I think it was it was in the moment it was really helpful but there were also some really hard things about hearing from people and especially after the fact um and i can still think on them now like i can think well here's this person who has this baby that was born at you know er- in early 23 weeks and survived and is healthy and um and those stories just i keep using the word complicated but it is complicated it just really messes up your how you think about life and and why does that happen to them and why does that not happen to my child mm-hmm. and um yeah it really stirs stirs things up and peels back a lot of really interesting layers that you maybe didn't know were yeah. were there as you think about like the meaning of life and and why do good why do bad things happen to good people and right. all those hard questions yeah i always think of just the stages of grief and how you know, we we obviously all know what those generally are, but I think about how they can kind of happen both over a long period of time, but also like in these flashes. And when you're kind of like right in those really deep, intense moments, it's like you can go through, you know, denial, hope, anger, you know, you can go through all of those within within a five minute period. And then you can cycle through them again and again and again and again, you know, mm-hmm. and I wonder in those in those deep, you know, really intense moments where you were still so unsure of what would happen, what were sort of your, the primary emotions that you sunk into? Did you, I know hope is obvious to one of those. Did you, did you feel denial? Did you come to this place of like, this can't be happening to us? What, what was kind of the primary experience of it Mm -hmm. that kept rising? I don't think I felt denial in the moment, uh, moments of like, now it's time for Afton to be born and now he's born and now you're meeting him and now you're saying goodbye to him. And like all of that was so very real that I don't Mm. think there was denial in those moments. I think there was denial or just like a, like almost like a dissociative state of like, this can't be happening to me. Um, When I was first admitted to the hospital, it was like, what is going on? Like my life was normal one hour ago. Like, this is really, and I have meetings tomorrow that I have to call people and, you know, cancel. This is just so strange. And I think after the fact, I also had that. Um, I can remember the week, maybe it was the week after um, the, we had a small like memorial service for Afton and did a burial. Um, and after those two super significant events for us, I remember sitting on the couch and um, just feeling so sad but not being able to cry and almost having like this it feels so awful like this disconnection between I literally feel like my insides are dying and my outside of my body is just numb and maybe that's more you know maybe numb is a better word to describe in that moment than denial but I remember thinking in that moment like 
am I, it's almost like your brain shuts off. It says like too painful. You know, it's still there. You know that it happened, but you almost like can't come to terms with it. But I don't think I ever felt that in the moments that it was happening, that Afton was being born or that we were getting to hold him for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, And then that we were, you know, with him as he died. Like all of those moments were so present and so real. And I mean, it's like the most real thing that I've ever experienced. And I think you have no other choice in those moments, but to say like, this is all I get. Like I get three hours with my son and I am going to be here for it. Um, Even though in some part of your brain, it's like, what is going on? Is this really happening? But you're just so locked in in those moments because mm-hmm. I think you know the significance of them mm-hmm. um, when they're happening. Yeah. What was it like to hold him? Oh my gosh. It was like, it was like the most, um, it was just the most amazing moment of my life. And it's so strange that like, this moment the only reason I was getting to hold him was because he was going to die like Mm. that's the only reason they would take a baby that little out of their isolate and let their parents hold them and so there's like such a mixture of emotions but it was just like so pure and um and I think up until that point there was probably a stretch of because he was born around like 2.30 in the afternoon. And then it was the following, it was like 2.30 in the morning. So almost exactly 12 hours mm-hmm. um, before I got to hold him. And I had gotten to see him, you know, after the C-section, they wheeled me in and they let me touch his little hand. Um, but it's different than holding him. Yes. And when I got to hold him, I felt like, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay. Like, never know when I'm going to be okay talking about it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when I got to hold him, um, I felt like this is like, oh, like, here you are. Like, it, had, it was almost as if, like, for those 12 hours after the C-section, I knew in my mind that, I, that he was born. Like, I have a son. He's born. Like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. But when you're not holding him and you're not like, I almost felt lost mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, like what's, where is he? What's going on? Like, I know I'm a mom, but I, where is he? Like, I need like this compulsion, like I need him and I need to like lock this in. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I held him, it just like locked. It was like, oh my gosh, there you are. Like mm-hmm. I'm a mom and I'm, you know, this is my baby and I could feel his little heart. Uh, beating right over my heart, you know, they put him, laid him right on my chest. And um, I remember just thinking in that moment, like, I'll never forget this, obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like all, all we get with him. Um, But it was, yeah, it was absolutely the most profound moment of my life. Yeah. And where, where was your husband in all of this? So he was, I mean, he was amazing. He was with me and with Afton and what a complicated and difficult like situation for a person to be in where it's like you want to be with your spouse who's just been through this excruciating like medical, you know, birth and procedure. And then also you have a baby and you want to be with your baby. And, um, and we were in two separate places. I was just right across the hall from, from each other. Um, cause because of the way that the NICU um, was set up at the hospital that we were at, but he was, he was 
at the hospital for every moment that I was at the hospital. He never left. Um, and he would run down. They had me start pumping right away. And so he would make the runs with the breast milk down to the NICU and then, you know, visit Afton and do like some of the little, um, I forget what they called it, like where you put your hands in and hold around him like the hand holding, mm -hmm. basically little hand hugging. Um, and so he was able to do that. That's something that I never did um, because I was laying in a bed post-surgery. Um, but that's something that they we have quite a few pictures of him being able to do. And then in the moment when we got to um, go down and hold him and um, meet him and spend time with him before he died, um, you know, he was, Bjork was with me. He was right there. And um, and I held after him first and for you, I honestly, the time is like so messed up in my mind. Like, was it 10 minutes? Was it an hour? I don't, I have no idea. Um, but I held him and then we kind of would trade back and forth. So Bjork would get to hold him. And, um, it was really amazing actually, because I think with me, um, this happened, but I think especially with my husband, with Bjork, when he was holding Afton, um, his, you know, his vitals start, started to even out. And I think that's really common with um, ba babies that are that mm -hmm. little and that are being held for the first time. Um, but the, the you know, his oxygen levels and things that they hadn't, with medical technology, they had not been able to stabilize um, were starting to improve and stabilize. Um, it was a temporary improvement, but just knowing, like, he knows me and he knows my husband yeah. and um he knows us as whether he you know obviously doesn't think like oh this is my mom and dad but like knows that we're his safe important people um and that his body physically reflected that it was really amazing yeah did that physiological response that he had did that create in you like any sense of uncertainty about like the path that you guys were on you know knowing that you were saying goodbye to him did it did it yeah. make you want to like try to you know keep fighting for him how did how did you respond to that I don't think I ever felt that way and it was not the type of situation where then we held him and then all of a sudden he was okay it yeah. was like now we held him and his heart rate is approaching a more normal normal mm -hmm. you know um, numbers or his oxygenation or whatever, but then there are that those are two of you know ten to fifteen different vital signs that they're monitoring, right. um, and the the thing that we kept coming back to was like we are trusting the doctors um, and the nurses and the medical team to like help mm -hmm. us make the best possible decision, and even in talking to our doctors after the fact. Um, because although we felt so confident in the moment, like this is the right thing and this is, he's not getting better, like he's struggling. Um, of course, then after the fact, you think like, was that the right thing? Should we yeah. have done something differently? And yeah. would there have been more we could do? And so when we went back and talked with um, Afton's doctor, his NICU doctor again, she she really just confirmed that like, the only thing left to do was to literally like give him CPR, like mm -hmm. infant, like micropremie infant CPR. Um, and she said that wouldn't have improved a number of his other condition, you know, his other mm -hmm. vitals that weren't stabilizing. And she said um, for a lot of families that choose that, and there's no right or wrong, but for a lot of families that choose that, then their child will die during CPR as opposed to 
in their arms, you know? Yeah. And so we really weren't, it wasn't like it, we were, we were on the last possible moments with him mm -hmm. um, already. And I think that those slight increases were more than a turnaround, more than like a physical turnaround, like, well, he's really improving. It was like, this is a, just a little sign for us that like, he knows who we are and he feels a safe. Message. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm emotional over here too. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Having those moments with him, I'm sure was, like you said, is the most felt like the most important moments of your life. And I had a, a son that was stillborn at full term a few years ago. And um, I have had a daughter since and holding her when she was born was incredible. But there was still in my life, there is no moment like holding my son after he was born. Um, and he was not alive in my arms like your son was. But those moments are are for sure the most critical and memorable and important moments I've ever, ever had. And, and nothing since has changed that. Today's episode is brought to you by Jessica Zucker of the I Had a Miscarriage campaign. Jessica created this beautiful line of cards to address the gaping hole in the cultural conversation surrounding pregnancy and infant loss. These cards are aimed to be an antidote to sentiments like, I just didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything at all. With the creation of these cards, and they span the gamut from tender to irreverent, Loved ones now have a way to express precisely what grievers need to hear in the aftermath of loss, empathy, love, and an acknowledgement of the hugeness of the experience. Included in the card line are cards about being pregnant after pregnancy loss, about stillbirth and infant loss. There are even announcement cards that you can use. There's a card for rainbow babies, which come after a pregnancy or infant loss. And there are cards for grievers on Mother's Day, which can be such a difficult time for women who have experienced loss. These cards capture the anger and the isolation and the complexity of grief. The next time you know someone who has experienced loss, these cards will be the perfect way for you to reach out and show that you are there for them in the way that they need. Go to motherbirth.co slash I had a miscarriage to check these out and to order online. And thanks to Dr. Jessica Zucker and the I had a miscarriage campaign for supporting mamas who have experienced every kind of loss and for supporting the mother birth podcast. I wanted to ask you too, Lindsay, like, did you feel any time you wanted to include more of your family? Yeah, um, actually, my so our parents, um, both of our parents were able to be there. Um, they actually were both able to, both sets of parents were able to meet Afton um, when he was alive, which was amazing. Um, we live, like, we're both, both Bjork and I are from a small town that's like an hour away from where we gave birth. So um, both of our parents were able to come down. It was like, obviously, like, we called them as soon as we got the call. Or I think, I don't even think we did. I think that the one of the doctors or nurses was like, would you like us to call your family? And we said yes. And, mm -hmm. and so um, it, was, it was close. Um, they, I remember thinking like, if they're not here soon, like this, he's not going to make it, um, you know, to be able to, to meet them or see them. But um, they all were able to, the four of them were able to come in and um, they didn't hold him, um, but they were able to like touch his little head and um, just say what, you know, hello and we love you. And um, 
we we both i have a pretty big family and it would have just been too much to you know call all my siblings and bring them in or whatever but um we feel like we introduced him to his family members by just naming all of them and telling him you know who was in his family and um they were actually my siblings were there um and Bjork's uh, brother has one brother. So our, our more extended families were there when he was born. Um, but obviously it's not like he's born and then everybody mm-hmm. can see him. Um, they, he's taken immediately to the NICU. So um, I was able to see everyone, but it was just our parents that were able to come and to be there and then meet um, Afton. And then in the moments that um, that we you know had to remove life support and were just holding him, we decided, and I think it was just for the best that it was just the two of us. Um, and the nurses and doctor would check in periodically, but it was really just the three of us in this little um, this little room in the NICU and sitting in this chair and holding him and singing to him. And um, but they were so you know so significantly able to like be a part of that process, even though they weren't there yeah. right at those very final moments. It's really beautiful. Yeah. So were you holding him when he passed away? I was, yeah. I was. What was that moment like? You know, it was it was peaceful, mm-hmm. which I think is maybe weird for people to hear that. Um, but it really was and he um I was kind of obviously it's a really emotional time the whole thing of it like just meeting your child in general for the mm-hmm. first time is really emotional then that's without even the added component of that there you know that they're not going to live um so it was really emotional but it wasn't like nonstop crying it was like i would cry um have just quick moments of crying but i felt like this extreme sense of calm um like when I was like I knew that we've got a few hours with him and I knew like you can fall apart after like but this is your time with him and this is your time to like be calming to him and it was really strange and I feel like it gave me just a taste of what it's like for you know for parents for moms um when they just completely put their own self aside to do what they need to do for their babies and their children. Mm-hmm. And um, in those moments, those final moments, um, it was just holding him and just like holding him so close and um, telling him how much we love him and telling him that it was okay to go and that we would be okay. Um, and I genuinely feel like I was able to say that, like we're going to be okay and and not have it be like, complete Mm -hmm. falling apart um even though obviously i was completely falling apart in my heart but i also felt this just sense of calm like over the whole thing and i don't know if that's um i don't know what that comes from i mean part of it part of me thinks like that there's a spiritual like thing that happens when you're literally like um like sending someone's soul to another realm like into heaven or um, like ushering the soul mm-hmm. out of this world. Um, it, it's just such a like sacred and holy thing. Um, 
that there's, I think, a peace that comes with that, at least in our situation. And I feel like given the circumstances, like we created just such a beautiful little pocket of love for him. And I felt really confident in all the decisions that we had made. Um, So it was really peaceful. And I think also one thing that I wasn't necessarily expecting, but um, was a part of the story is that there wasn't like, it wasn't like there was a moment where it was like, now he's, you know, he's gone. We know he's mm-hmm. gone for sure. Um, it was, it was like stretched out over probably an hour where they took out um, his tubes, all of his tubes, and we were able to hold him without tubes. And, um, and then the doctor just came in after, you know, 30 minutes and then after an hour and we just check his heart rate and check his different vital signs. And obviously eventually there comes a time where they say like, okay, you know, now he's, he's gone. Now we don't have any heartbeat. Um, but there's, it's a long stretch of time and it's just this, it's so awful, the off, most awful thing you could really ever experience, but also like a beautiful piece to it. And I think most, I think me being able to hold him and like love him and give him a peaceful death is something that like not a lot of Mm -hmm. parents get to do Mm -hmm. um and it's really just like was this beautiful honor for me to be able to give that to him I don't know if that sounds totally crazy um but it's like that's what I was able to do for him as his mom like I wasn't able to do the normal things of like changing his diaper and teaching him to read and sending him off to school, but like I was able to give him a really beautiful and peaceful death. And um, I think there's something about that that feels really significant and and good in a terrible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you had such a brief time with him and that entire time was him just experiencing your love, you know, fully present with him, like fully giving yourself to him. And that that really is a gift. I think it's beautiful, too, that, you know, one of the things I know during your pregnancy that that you shared with people was that you, you know, you one of your goals was to be really calm, you know, just having, mm-hmm. you know, experienced anxiety in your life and whatever else that you wanted to have this experience of calm and that for you to use, you know, one of the first words when I asked you what it was like to hold him, you know, as he was dying and the one of the first words you used was calm and these words calm and peaceful, it's like that was a gift that you gave to him for sure. But it also sounds like a gift that was given to you, you know, and, and that's what you wanted. And that's Mm -hmm. something that you, you created the space for that, you know, um, you, you allowed that gift to come. Yeah. And even it's interesting even to think about that. Some of the stuff is like, you know, thinking about things, I'm thinking about things in new ways. I've never thought about them before, even in this conversation, but um, but his name is like, when I think of the name Afton and why we picked that name, um, it's inspired from a song that we love, which is inspired from a poem, which is a poem about nature and, um, this beautiful river, um, like this gently flowing river. And I just think, wow, like what a marker on his life of just those words of like peace and calm and even in his name and like I had never even made connected those dots before this moment but like just hearing you say that and thinking about um yeah just thinking about what his life was to us and I hope what we were able to give him in his life um those words feel really significant Mm, yeah 
Absolutely. Lindsay, I wanted to ask as you kind of were coming from those last moments and sharing those with obviously your husband and your family and then thinking about kind of going home and saying goodbye. Was there anything in those moments that you are really kind of proud of that you guys took, like you said, proud of giving him um, a peaceful rest, but kind of how you guys transitioned to moving away from the hospital? Yeah, um, I am really proud that we spent time with him Mm -hmm. after he died. And I think that even looking back, I wish we would have done even more, you know, Um, but in the moment, it's so, it's so strange. And you feel like, is this totally weird that I'm like, bringing my baby, um, who's not living like into my hospital room with me and holding him and changing his clothes and like even changing his diaper, like doing all the little things um, that I would have wanted to do with him um, had he been alive. And and in the moment you just question, I think like, is this totally, totally crazy? And are people going to think this is totally weird? Um, but I'm so glad that we did that. And we actually were able to have a friend, um, a really good friend who does family and, um, you know, kid and I don't know that she does birth photography, Mm. but she did for us kind of, (laughs) um, she, she does photography. And so she came, we called her and asked her if she would be willing to come to the hospital, um, super last minute and take some pictures for us with Afton. And that was just like such a beautiful experience. And I even told her after, as she was wrapping up to leave, like I said, even if you, even if I never saw any pictures from this time, like if you, you're something happened with your camera or whatever, if I never actually saw the pictures, like this would still be one of the most significant periods of time for me that we spent with Afton because the time that we got was so limited and just having her there and being able to like take pictures and not even for the sake of the pictures, but just to like spend time looking at him and studying him and like loving all the little things about him. Um, I left that moment. I mean, it's terrible. Like you wrap him up and you hand him over to a nurse. And then, and I remember saying to her, like, please like be so careful with him. And it's just such a terrible, awful thing. And it goes like against everything in every fiber of your being to like pass off your baby to someone else and know that you're not going to see them. Right. Um, but we spent that time with him and that just felt so significant. And I remember after that, that time with, and especially with my friend taking pictures and stuff, I remember just thinking like, I feel so calm. Like I feel so, is that word calm again? But like, I just feel so, um, I feel like I'm okay, even though I'm not okay. But like, spending time with him was always such a such a healing thing Mm -hmm. and it also was really you feel like a little awkward and it also becomes more scary as time goes on and as um like with Afton before it was a week before we had the memorial service and so I wanted to be the one to put his clothes on and like see him one last time before the funeral or before he was buried and then at that point, you also have the fears of like, what is he going to look like? And yeah, and like, is that going to be totally 
terrifying for me and and like even like do mm. I want to see him like that and there's no right answer like for some people they don't and that's they want to leave that memory pure um but for me I am just so thankful and I guess proud that like I was able to say if I didn't do this it would be out of fear of what he's going to look like and what that's going to be like but like if I made the decision out of love it would be that I want to be the one to get him ready for this service and to get him ready to be buried. And I'm just so, um, I'm so thankful that I had the support and encouragement from people around me to say like, that's an okay thing. Like you can do that. And it's weird, um, to even just cause he was at the funeral home and we took him, the funeral home was in Cambridge, which is where my parents live. And we took him to my parents' house. So mm. like we took him from the funeral home to my parents' house so that I could get him ready because I felt like there's not a good place at the funeral home. I'm, I'm going to feel rushed. I'm going to feel weird. So we brought him to my parents' house and I like had candles in the room and had like soft music playing and was just able to like spend time with him there. And I know that probably sounds so strange to some people listening, but like, I'm really proud that we took the time to do that because those are significant moments for us when we think about, um, you know, his life and loving him and spending time with him and all of that. Yeah. It sounds like you absolutely had that sense of like, we have to make this time count. Like these are the moments. And, and I remember feeling so much that way too. And I think that also comes into, you know, the, the experience that comes after losing a child where you just so desperately want other people to feel like they're real too, you know, cause mm -hmm. you're the mm -hmm. only one that experienced those physical moments with them. Whereas everybody else with their baby, you know, get other people hold them and, and love them and see them and, and start to, you know, get to know these little nuances of them. And, and even though the amount of physical contact and recognition and like exploration that you were able to do, even though it was so limited, it was still like, that's your whole world and mm -hmm. your whole experience of him. Yeah. And I think that like bringing him home or like even spending time with him in the hospital, but I think especially bringing him home, like, oh, to my parents' house, um, that was significant because my even my parents were able to hold him and Bjork's parents and my siblings even mm -hmm. um would you know hold him and sit in a little rocking chair and rock him and um I don't know I so appreciate that that is becoming more welcome and accepted mm -hmm. and even encouraged because I know that that's not true of of people who's have experienced, you know, infant loss in whatever, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And it's not even like right now, it's really good. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think we're really good at grief. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're really good at being totally okay with that kind of stuff. But we're much, I think as a society, like so much in a so much better place than we were when, you know, I have my grandma lost a baby and she talked about never even being able to herself see mm -hmm. the baby. Mm -hmm. And that's so different than my experience, which is that my family was able to hold him and we were able to hold him. And even that we had a funeral for him and people were able to see him, um, that it speaks to that thing that you were saying about people, him becoming real to people yeah. and not just an idea and even not just a pregnancy. And, and I think the categorization between like, he's a person or like, he's a mm -hmm. pregnancy 
is is a subtle one but there's a difference with it and and I feel like that helped people to understand and appreciate and value his personhood more because they were able to see him and touch him and yeah, hold him yeah, totally were you sure so did you do an open casket we did yeah. yeah and we had a small enough service that we thought you know there's always the question like is this going to make people uncomfortable or what's gonna what's that going to be like but because it was people that were so close to us and um and you know people that would be a part of kind of that inner circle we thought this is what we want to do. We want to, him to have the chance to be seen. And if people are not comfortable, like they don't have to go yeah. and see him. And I actually, during the service, I actually held him. Um, we made the decision that like, rather than just have him sit in a casket up in front of this little room um, where we did the service, that it just felt so cold. And there was like a big TV behind because we were going to do like some slides and pictures and stuff. And it just felt so cold. and so. We made the decision that people might think this is weird. They might not be comfortable with it, but this is our funeral and this is our baby. And we don't want him just laying up there in the front um, when we're, you know, celebrating his life. And um, I think people so quickly, maybe maybe it's initially weird to them, mm -hmm. but so quickly are okay with it and understand. And I remember that the pastor that did the service said, um, he said, Lindsay's going to hold, you know, after during the service. And he said, what parent wouldn't want to spend every possible moment that they could with their child. And I feel like that kind of brings people to the place out of a place of judgment and into a place of like, yeah, if that was my baby, I, I would want to hold them as long as I possibly yeah. could. I think that that is just such a wonderful kind of summation of just how you listen to yourself and your intuition mm. in this process and I think that that is such a difficult thing to be doing and like you said it's easy to kind of start listing all the tasks that need to be done and thinking like you, you even had the thoughts of like well this might be weird to someone or is this weird to me you're kind mm -hmm. of like not that you're questioning your actions but you're kind of like evaluating them from this unknown like I don't know how to do this I, I've never done this with someone else or you know like you've heard other stories but I just want to say that I think of that is something that's so important in any kind of grief of any type but also especially when you're losing a child you need to find your space for grief and your mm -hmm. like your style like as a community and I feel like it sounds like you guys really did that and really listened to what you thought would be what what would be special and honoring of your son and I think that mm -hmm. that is such a powerful story for other women because I think that like you said traditionally dealing with loss is to move on yeah and mm -hmm. like you said it used to be you know and I also have um, I lost an older brother at 11 hours so my family had um, an infant loss that we dealt with in different mm. ways throughout my life and my mom shared very similar stories she never really got to hold her son they mm -hmm. were separated nobody took pictures yeah. there weren't mm -hmm. any like you know now there's a lot of hospitals are doing programs where there's boxes and ways to kind of make memories Keepsakes, of that time. Yeah. keepsakes and it just wasn't a part of what what was normal practice back then and so she had so few moments and so few memories and so I think like you said you know there are some positive things going on but even within that that might not be what's best for you like you might want the time later and I I love that you guys felt the freedom and the confidence to ask yeah. for that time yeah because 
you know, you don't get that back. And I think, mm-hmm. like you said, even if it made people uncomfortable at first or maybe they don't, they just don't know how to process it, they know you. And so you are what makes mm-hmm. it, what makes it not just normal, but beautiful. It's like what being able to walk with you and your husband and through that loss in your, like on your terms almost, I guess. I yeah. Don't know if that's the right mm-hmm. way of saying that is really really kind of amazing and I really hope that people listen to this and feel empowered by that because I feel like there are a lot of people who don't know what to do and so they just don't do very much mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. time yeah I think so many people are just waiting to be invited into the experience of grief with mm-hmm. you you know and and not everyone is capable of that but I think that so many people are just waiting for that invitation and they don't know how to grieve with you they don't know how to support you but they are open And I think that's such an important part of telling these stories, too, is just that giving giving voice to that. It's okay. It's okay to feel any of these ways. It's okay to react any of these ways. It's okay to want to, you know, have any of these different experiences or moments with your child. And I talk to women all the time who tell me, like, I wish I took photos. I wish I'd his husband wishes he husband wishes he'd held the baby. That's a really common one where, you know, the mom held the baby, but maybe the husband didn't. You know, I wish we'd had family come. I wish mm-hmm. we'd done a service. All of these things. And I think your story is it's important for so many reasons, but it's it really, really highlights that people can just be how they want to be. There's no right or wrong. Well, I do want to ask too, you know, here you are on the other side sharing your story and um, just in the sense of, as we kind of talked about those different stages of getting encouragements, getting grief statements, how are you kind of processing this now in your family and in your media community? Yeah. um, You mean just like grief in general, just ongoing? Yeah. Yeah. I have been we've both Bjork and I have been so uh fortunate that we have you know so many people that have that have stepped up and that have been so supportive and um I think you're always going to have you're always going to have those random comments that are unintentionally hurtful or those moments that go by with no acknowledgement or no recognition and those things are hard, and I think that that would that's a universal thing um, that just exists because it's hard, and and people don't know what to do, and sometimes I don't know what to do for other people, and like I've been through this, and it's just a hard hard thing. But on the whole, um, people have been so present to us in our grief, which is I think the most important thing. Um, we have friends that every time we go over, like every every time, they say, "How are you guys doing this week?" Um, and they're always willing and, and available to ask us about Afton. And it's been, you know, seven months since he was born and, um, that hasn't, you know, dropped off yet. And obviously time continues to go on and you hit the six month mark and then fewer people are asking. And then you hit the one year mark and then fewer people are, are asking and are present. But in the big picture of things, um, so many people are present to us and we've found both Bjork and I, but I think probably me, especially, um, if you can't tell from this podcast, I'm kind of a talker. I like to Mm -hmm. talk. So, um, so just talking about it is really one of the most important and helpful things that people can Mm -hmm. do for us and can give us is just space to talk about it. Um, and 
we've found and I found that we've had so many people that are willing to do that. Of course, you have some people that you expect to be able to talk with you about it that that have a harder time bringing it up or there's there's the opposite where you have people that you weren't really that close with and all of a sudden you feel this like this uh kindred spiritness with them because they're asking about it all the time and they usually those are people that have walked through grief themselves and they are aware of it and they know that you're still struggling seven months later and eight months later and um and so that's really that's really helpful and i would also say like above and beyond just family and friends um we i've found that connecting with other moms that have lost babies has been such a lifesaver um Mm -hmm. just such an encouraging thing and such an important part of my like healing and moving forward i just today literally just today i had like kind of a mini breakdown i had this appointment is like dermatology, probably totally unrelated dermatology appointment and like how to get these moles removed. And for whatever reason, it was like so triggering to me. And I just texted them as I was crying in the car. And I was like, this was just really hard. And it's like within seconds, they're texting back and they're like, oh my gosh, that happened to me too. And I know this, this, this and that, and are just able to relate in a way that I think even family and friends that love us very much wouldn't be able to relate to. So that's been super, um, just super valuable and something that I'm so glad. And if there's anyone listening that like has gone through a loss, I would just so, so recommend that you try to get connected, um, whether it's even online or in person or whatever with people that, that also know what that experience is like, because that has made a huge difference for me. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It's been really really beautiful to hear your perspective and just the rawness of that experience and how open you've been about the whole, the whole experience. So thank you for going there with us today. Of course. And thank you. Um, you know, thank you both for just for leaving space for that kind of a heavy, heavy story. I feel like it's just a, it's just an important conversation to have and I appreciate the chance to be able to tell it. So Yeah, I think it's one of the stories of motherhood, you know, Mm -hmm. it belongs with all the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And we'll have we'll have some links in our show notes to uh, Lindsay's food blogging career, as well as her sharing her story of meeting her baby boy. All right. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, thank you both. Take care. Though thy crystal stream after a lovely glide. Thanks for listening to Motherbirth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Motherbirth is a personal podcast created by Laura and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.